0: Welcome to Hillside Baptist Chapel's weekly Bible study. Please join Dr. Steve Wood every week where we can all collectively grasp a better understanding of God through His Word. This podcast will be published every Wednesday night at 7 p.m.
1: Contact information is as follows. Dr. Steve Wood, Pastor, phone or message at 6438-6541, email at steve rwood002 at gmail.com prayer requests can be sent directly to Prayerlist 2020 at gmail.com good evening everybody
2: welcome to our wednesday night po- podcast and we're glad that you're able to join us today and hopefully before too awfully long we'll be able to have our wednesday evening services live wouldn't that be great Right now, we're just trying to have our regular services live. We haven't been able to do that for the last couple of weeks, but we're able to have services Friday evening. So I'll let, give you that announcement right now and uh, let you know that we're planning on meeting on Friday, I'm saying, sorry, Friday at 11 a.m., not evening, Friday at 11 a.m. Uh, for our uh, worship service in the place of Sunday. So I hope to see many of you there for that. Tonight, I want to continue our study of the book of 1 Corinthians. And we ended up looking at the first part of chapter 13. And tonight, we want to continue that with uh, verses 4 through 7. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me there. I'm going to be reading out of the Holman edition. Uh, but you follow with your edition and uh, see the difference that there is and uh, what it says about love. I think you'll see that they're uh, pretty close to the same in what they're saying about this particular uh, subject. And I'm using the Holman because I like the wording of it just a little bit better here than some of the other translations. All right, First Corinthians chapter 13 And we'll begin reading with verse 4 tonight. It says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, as we come to you tonight, we are so very thankful for the opportunity to be able to be with your people and to be able to have this podcast. And I pray that your blessings would be upon us as we look at your word. Help us to understand more things about 1 Corinthians chapter 13 the love chapter, and the things that he's saying here about love, that you're saying here about love. And as we understand these things, that it will help us in our lives, that we will have the kind of love that you want us to have. And I pray that as we look at these things in your scriptures tonight, we'll understand love better as you have given it, as you have described it. And again, Father, I pray your blessings on our church. I pray your blessings on this message and each one that's under the sound of my voice tonight. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, tonight as we begin this, it reminds me of a Peanuts cartoon. Bear with me for just a minute. Think about this cartoon. It shows Lucy. She's standing with her arms folded and a stern expression on her face. You can picture that, can't you? <laughs> and Charlie Brown is there pleading with her. Lucy, you must be more loving. This world really needs love. You have to let yourself love to make this world a better place. Lucy angrily whirls around and knocks Charlie Brown to the ground. She screams at him. Look, blockhead! The world I love, it's people I can't stand. (laughs) I'm sure we all feel that way at times. And some of us feel that way most of the time, maybe. Come to think of it, I'll bet some of us feel that way right now, tonight. Loving the world in general isn't that difficult. But loving the people around us can be a major challenge. And that's why we need to study the inspired scriptures here of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We need to know what love is. We need to know what it looks like. What the nitty-gritty of life should portray as far as love is concerned. There is a sense in which love is difficult to define. It's easy to describe This week I looked up love and the dictionary, and there are 18 definitions. I read them all, and I didn't feel a bit more loving. Perhaps the truth is closer to this. You'll know it when you see it. You've heard that expression before. Love is better seen than defined. That leads me to the familiar observation that love is not primarily a feeling but in action. We live in an age that honors personal feelings above almost everything else. We do what we want to do, and we do what we feel like doing. And if we don't feel like it, we don't do it. As a survey of 1 Corinthians 13, I'm struck by the complete absence of any stress on personal feeling. The kind of love the Apostle Paul is talking about here is seen and expressed and demonstrated. While it may start as a feeling, maybe compassion or even pity, it never ends that way. As we think about love tonight, let me mention something that I read once Doctors Henry Cloud and John Townsend co authored the Beatitudes book series on boundaries, affirming the equation of truth and love necessary for health for all human relationships. And they said this many people think that boundaries are about selfishness and are at their root self-serving. Nothing could be further from the truth, they tell us. Boundaries are about freedom, and freedom is always meant to have as its ultimate fruit, love. Jesus said that one extraordinary characteristic of the church would be distinguished in us as his disciples because we love one another. That's what John thirteen thirty five says. Our love for God and our love for others is the truest measure of our sanctification, our being set apart. It is therefore essential to discover a biblical de- definition of love, where love is in modern practice It's come to mean kindness, sentiment, kindness without adorning, sentiment without commitment. In its biblical definition, love always generates truth. When love and truth work in tandem, it is the ultimate example of Speaking and knowledge enriched and sanctified in every way through Christ. And we find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 5. Here in chapter 13, we find love is described by the qualities of the Christian. The love that should always guide the church's pursuit to truth. The Lord's churches are called to speak the truth in love, Ephesians 4.15 tells us. And today's passage explains what that looks like. Truth in love does not grow impatient when change is slow or rude when the message is misunderstood or arrogant because of its informed position. Truth and love means to protect, not attack. Trust rather than mistrust. Hope instead of despair. Perseverance rather than giving up. We find that in verse 7, don't we? Truth and love was the essence of Jesus' ministry on earth. He never feared speaking the truth, yet he never ignored the worth and dignity of each person with whom he spoke. This call to love is an excellent reminder before we broach the next important topic that we're going to cover in 1 Corinthians, and that is community, our church. Our sanctification depends upon our vital connection with other believers. And it is love that will preserve those relationships despite the misunderstandings and offenses that we will inevitably have as we work with one another. Is there someone in your life to whom you have spoken truth in a mean spirit or condescending? Or perhaps there is someone you love to whom you've not had the courage to speak the truth and you have preferred to avoid confrontation with them. Prayfully consider for these conversations asking God to make your truth-telling, loving, patient, kind, humble, forgiving, and polite. And I think when we have that attitude as we're talking with someone, that will motivate us to love others and that love always supersedes our need to defend our position. Let us get back now to the scriptures that we've looked at. The last study we had in this book, we surveyed the first three verses of 1 Corinthians 13. Some have called this the crown jewel of the Holy Scriptures. And there we discovered that love is indispensable. It is more important than eloquent communication, more important than spiritual gifts or personal sacrifices. If we have all the Attractive rudiments of true religion. But don't have love, we don't have anything at all, we discovered. And now the Apostle Paul begins to describe what love looks like. What it is that is seen as love is there. Our text for today contains 15 short phrases. And it's like a prism that's held up to the sun. You know what happens when you hold up a prism to the light. It shows all the spectrums of the rainbow. Well, this, when it's held up, shows all the spectrum of love. Many people think that this is the most beautiful and complete statement on love ever written. As we look at these verses, I advise you to buckle up. Strap on your belt. Tightly, because if you take these verses seriously, you're sure to be challenged, convicted, and even prodded into a new way of living and a new way of loving. In this lesson, we'll look at eleven descriptions of love found in verses four through seven, and it's fascinating that there are positive uh, uh, three are positive and eight are negative telling us what love is not. As it says, let me tell you what it isn't so you can't be mistaken about what it is. All right, first of all is love's choice. Verse 4. He says, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, it is not boastful, is not conceited. Love is patient. The King James Version says, there that love suffereth long. It is never tiring or waiting. The Greek word literally means long-minded. Now we wouldn't use that in our conversation because we wouldn't understand it. But love is slow to give in to resentment, despair, or anger. The practical word the Apostle Paul uses means to have patience. Patience with difficult people rather than having patience in difficult circumstances. You see, this is describing what it's like as we work with one another. It describes the person who has been wronged, who has it within his power to get even, but chooses not to use that power. During the early days of the Civil War, Edwin Stanson was outspoken in his criticism of Abraham Lincoln. He held Lincoln in utter contempt, calling him a gorilla, a cunning clown. Although he knew about the slanders, Lincoln never retaliated. And when the time came to choose someone to oversee the war effort, Lincoln chose Stanton. When asked why, He simply replied, because he's the best man for the job. After the president was assassinated in April 1865, Stanton stood weeping over Lincoln's body and declared, there lies the greatest ruler of men the world has ever seen. Patient love won in the end. And then second love is kind. The word means something like useful, sweet usefulness (laughs) is a way to describe it. Love is quick to help others and eager to reach out to those in need. And as we think of love, notice that third description. Love does not envy. This is the sin of those who think others have too much and they have too little. By contrast, love is generous. It does not begrudging others their gifts. How do you respond to the good fortune of others? If they do better than you, if they prosper when you don't, if their family seems happy when yours is torn apart, how will you react? If they achieve what you cannot, if they gain what you lack, if they win where you lose, then the truth will come out. Can you lose gracefully? Can you walk away from the contest without bitterness? If you live long enough, you're probably going to find someone who does what you do better than you do it. Better than what you can do it. You'll meet people with your talents and your gift of only much more of them. You'll find people who surpasses you in every way. What will you do then? This is one of the tests of love. And then fourth, love does not boast. It does not brag. It is not pompous or conceited. It has no exalted opinion of itself. It is not eager to gain the appraisal of others. The Greek word translated boast here means something like windbag. It is not that, he says. And then fifth, love is not proud. The King James Version here says love is not puffed up. That means love does not not have an inflated opinion of itself. It is not filled with hot air. As I think about The truly great people I've known, they've all, on one level at least, seemed rather ordinary. They dressed and acted like real people. When someone has to dress or act or talk like they are something special, it's because they're trying to convince themselves. With these who really are great. What do you see? What is it in their lives? That which ought to be in all of us, the Bible is telling us here. And then, love's refusal, verse 5. It does not act improperly, is not selfish, is not provoked, does not keep a record of wrongs? Verse 5 tells us that it does not dishonor others. The Bible says here it does not behave itself unseemingly in the King James Version. This covers a lot of territory. On one level, it means that love is not ill-mannered. It does nothing of which it will be ashamed later. Love is true courtesy. It is polite. It is considerate. It is careful for the needs and the feelings of others. Isn't that great? And then seventh, love is not self-seeking. It takes no thought of itself, does not demand its own way, and is not stubborn about things that uh, that doesn't matter. Love never says, my way or the highway. Love says, let's do it Jesus' way. Love serves and doesn't worry about who gets the credit for it. And then eighth, love is not easily angered. This is the quality of always stopping and thinking about the things that others have, and and not about our anger over what's going on in the world. The quality that seems to come too close for comfort sometimes. Love is not easily angered, is not quick-tempered, does not blow its top, is not provoked to do bad things, and is not irritable. By contrast, Love is good-natured, easygoing, and quick to forgive. Now, I think most of us tend to look on our temper as a minor problem, as if being quick-tempered is merely a matter of temperament, personality, or family background. We excuse it by saying, that's just the way I am. Well, that may be the way you are, but it's not the way you're supposed to be. Over a hundred years ago, Henry Drummond wrote a wonderful short treatment of First Corinthians 13. And he called it the greatest thing in the world. Regarding this phrase, he noted that the peculiarity of ill temper is that it is the vice of the vicious, It is often the one blot on the otherwise noble character. You know know men who are all but perfect and women who would be entirely perfect, but for an easily ruffled quick temper or touchy disposition. Let him who has an ear hear what the Spirit is saying here. I know that some people excuse their bad temper by saying, Surely, I do lose my temper, but it's all over in a few minutes. So is a nuclear bomb. A great deal of damage can be done in a very short period of time. And then notice, not that love keeps no record of wrongs. It thinketh no evil, King James says. It does not take into account wrongs uh, suffered. They're not making a, a list of all the things that have happened to them. It doesn't brood over injuries that has been suffered. It's not suspicious of others. Not cynical about good deeds done by others. And then notice Love's outlook in verses 6 and 7. It says, Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So, 10th, love does not delight in evil. It takes no pleasure in wrongdoing. It's not glad when injustices occur is not happy when evil triumphs. It takes no joy in hearing evil openly discussed. Love is never glad to hear bad news about another person. It never says, well, they finally got their just dessert. Love is never happy to hear that a brother or sister fell into sin. Love does not enjoy passing along bad news. This certainly goes against the grain of modern life, doesn't it? As we look at the news today, we look at the television, newspapers. Bad news sells, doesn't it? And the good news goes on page 75. And then 11th, love rejoices with the truth. This is the flip side of the previous phrase. Love takes joy in what is true and good and right and holy and pure. And love cheers whenever the truth wins out. It is glad to know that suspicions were unfounded. Love believes the best and is glad when the verdict is not guilty. I hate my husband or I hate my wife. Have you ever heard those phrases? These are tough words to hear They go against our basic nature. We live in a world that talks about love in a generic sense. I love you and why don't we roast some chestnuts over an open fire (laughs) to borrow from the past holiday. But the kind of love the Bible talks about is in short supply today. And even in our churches, we tend to pass right over this passage because we've heard it so many times in weddings and anniversaries. And it seems to be more romantic than realistic. How can we live this way? How can we truly love without envying, without a quick temper, without seeking our own interest, without thinking evil of others? The answer is we can't. In ourselves, we have no power to live this way. That's why it doesn't work to say, let's give it the old college try and really go out there and love everybody we meet. We will never talk ourselves into loving like this. And the sooner we admit the fact, the better off we'll be. This isn't some kind of rash, rah-rah contemplation where we try to prove our love in our enthusiasm. Sooner or later, we have to get down to the bottom of the things and admit the truth. I hate my husband. I hate my wife. I can't stand my children. My parents are driving me nuts. I hate the people I work with. I don't like the folks at church. I don't love my neighbor. I can barely stand to see my own family we need to cry out to God to help us. I don't love anyone right now, maybe you're saying. And even though no one else knows it or sees it, maybe you're angry, an angry person, filled with bad thoughts and completely lacking in any kind of love. Ask God to help you. If God doesn't help you, You won't ever love anyone because you know you can't change the way you are by yourself. Ask the Lord to help you. Change you. Let your love flow. Let God's love flow through you. I think it helps to replace love in this passage with Jesus. As we do that, we see that Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy, does not think evil, is not quick-tempered, does not rejoice in what is evil. If we want to love, we need more of Jesus in our lives. We need to go to the cross and we need to allow Him to fill our hearts with His love. And that's the only way that that love that He wants us to have can be expressed to others. Now as we come to the end of this particular passage and this message, I'd like to give you some homework. Take some time this week to consider the 11 qualities of love in this passage that we've talked about. Think about them, one by one. How do you measure up? Where are you strong? and where are you weak? Which three qualities stand out as the greatest need in your life right now? Circle those three and begin to pray about them. Write down one practical step you can take in each of these areas where you're weak and ask God to help you grow stronger in love. And there's a second part of this assignment. During January, We're celebrating a new year, aren't we? We're leaving the old 2020 behind, thankfully. And we can thank God that He's brought us this far. And I'd like to challenge you to read 1 Corinthians 13 every day this month. January is a wonderful month to learn about love as we think of new beginnings. If you read these 13 verses 30 times, the words of Scripture will become a part of you and reside in your soul. And as these words become a part of your life, you will find love becoming a daily reality. May God help us to live in love. Father, again, thank you today for this passage in Scripture. Thank you for the challenges that it gives us. Thank you for the hope that is there. And I pray that we might live in hope and in love as we go forward. Bless our church and bless each one that's under the sound of my voice tonight. And we ask it in Jesus' name.
0: Amen. Please stay tuned for a short weekly editorial with Face to Face with Dr. Fred. Good evening. It was 1959, my second day as youth director of the second largest southern Baptist church in the world, Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee. I met a man who has significantly changed my life. His name was E.E. McAteer. Everyone called him Eddie McAteer. He was a Colgate Pomali salesman. If he were here, he would not allow me to elaborate about him in any way. He would want me to talk about Jesus, which I will. But first, we had a big white house across the street from the church, Dr. R.G. Lee, the former pastor, donated it for the youth of the church. Every Saturday evening, kids came from all over to hear Eddie McIntyre tell about Jesus. It was amazing how they listened, and many accepted Christ in those Saturday evening Bible studies as their personal Savior. It would be exciting to you if I could share with you what happened. Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, was magnified. Eddie McAteer shared with our kids one Saturday evening One Solitary Life, written by James Allen Francis. Listen, as I read about Jesus, it will inspire you. One solitary life. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant. He grew up in another village where he worked in a carpenter's shop until he was 30. Then, for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family or owned a home. He didn't go to college. He never lived in a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of the things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33 when the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his auctioneers gambled for his garments, the only property he had on earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Twenty centuries have come and gone, and today he is a central figure of the human race. I am well within the mark when I say that all the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned, Put together have not affected the life of man on this earth as much as that one solitary life. After the reading with one of our young ladies playing the piano, as the kids sitting everywhere in that big old white house, even on the steps of the second floor, they sang Eddie McAteer's favorite hymn, Majestic Sweetness Sits in Throne. It was written by Samuel Stennett over 250 years ago. D. McAteer and I will sing it again.
1: Contact information is as follows. Dr. Steve Wood, Pastor, phone or message at 64386541, email at wood zero zero two at gmail.com. Prayer requests can be sent directly to HBC Prayer List 2020 at gmail.com.
0: Thank you, and God bless.